0: welcome back to crazy faith talk i'm steve
1: i'm erica and i'm sarah so friends we are in
0: a new series for this easter tide season where we've been talking about our own callings we've each kind of have hinted at things about our callings over the years we've been together
1: um but We're just flat out talking about our callings this time and and what it means for us to be called. So we've listened to Steve's calling. Last week, you got to hear my calling. Sarah, tell us about yours. Uh, So I'm going to actually take you back in history a little bit to before I was born, um, because I think context really matters in my story. So my dad grew up uh, Lutheran. Like, he grew up in the Lutheran church. He went to church every Sunday. He was in some sort of Lutheran boys' choir for a while. Um, And my mom grew up in the Baptist tradition, but, like, she joined the Baptist tradition in a Baptist church as, like, a teenager because her parents were born again when she was a teenager. So, like, her very early growing up years, not really in the church. And then her parents had the religious awakening and kind of drug her as a protesting teenager in the 70s to church. And so when my parents met and got married, they got married in the Baptist church. Um, And this was never said explicitly, but I imagine to appease my grandparents, my Southern Baptist grandparents. Um, And shortly after getting married, my dad, as a lifelong Lutheran, became increasingly uncomfortable there because the preaching was very like angry and like, mm-hmm. this is what you're doing wrong. And my dad like, don't you go to church to hear that God loves you and forgives you and to be in relate, like, what is this? So <laughs> they they left the church and they didn't go back. Um, until much later in my story, but, uh, so I was born not along with my older brother, not going to church except for those weekends where my grandparents would take us for the weekend to babysit us, to give mom and dad, you know, a break and some time to each other. And they would take us to church and I loved it. I loved going to Sunday school. I loved the music. Like, I loved the everything about those weekends. I loved spending time with my grandparents. They lived a block away from us. Um, I liked going to their house for breakfast because they would read a chapter of the Bible and then have a good long prayer before they had breakfast. Like, I wanted to be my grandparents so much. I wanted to have what they had. I wanted to be in relationship with this God who they were in relationship with. And so when I was eight or nine, I was at a worship service and they had an a, um, altar call and I answered it. I went up and I had some person pray with me to accept Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior she gave me a New Testament and I got really mad because I saw adults there getting the whole Bible and Genesis was my favorite book of the Bible so like I was a little bit salty that I got the New Testament and I wanted the whole thing like why are you denying me half of scripture i was kind of irritated by it, but it was okay. Cause I was saved now. And my grandparents were like really happy. Um, and then we moved away. We moved away from my grandparents. Uh, we were now 50 minutes away from them by car instead of a quick three minute walk. And so there was a couple of years there where I didn't really get to go to church because we no longer lived close enough that I couldn't have weekends with my grandparents. Um, as well as we were getting older. So my, and my grandparents were getting older. So they didn't really want like, us for the entire weekend anymore um and so when I was 11 I decided you know what I am old enough to go to church by myself like if mom and dad doesn't want to take me that's fine there is this friend's church five miles down the road because I lived out in the middle of nowhere um I can just walk there like it's a walkable distance so I went to this church um And it freaked my parents out because they knew nothing about Quakers and they were a little bit afraid that they were a weird fringe group. Like they were very uncomfortable with it, but they decided if Sarah is dedicated enough to going to church that she's willing to walk five miles in the snow in February to this weird church, then I think we have to take that seriously before she joins a cult. So So, hang on,
0: just to be clear, when you say you went to a friend's church, you don't mean like a classmate who you liked and you went to their church. You mean the Society of Friends, the Quakers. That's fantastic. I was picturing it's like you and a classmate going to church because you had a friend there. No, you mean you went to the Quakers. That's awesome.
1: I knew no one there.
0: That's fantastic. But you made a whole bunch of friends.
1: They... They didn't really know what to do with me. I walked in. There were no children at this church, but I walked in and I was like, I'm here for Sunday school. So some poor lady sat with me for a while because the adults were having Sunday school because that's all they had. And so she sat there and told me the story of Moses or Noah or somebody because she's like, we need to have a Sunday school for this poor kid who just showed up.
0: Nice.
1: She was so nice. Like they were so nice, but they didn't. They didn't know what to do with poor, with poor eleven-year-old me who just walked in from the snow. Like again, because they're also in the middle of nowhere. Like we're surrounded by cornfields, and this kid just shows up. Looking back at it, I'm really impressed with her.
0: Uh, everybody in that story comes off as a hero. You you watch it walking through snow for five miles to go to a Quaker church. Them for receiving you. That's cool all around. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, to be fair, I think my dad might've dropped me off because he felt bad that I was like fully prepared to do this. Like I just put on my coat and I was like, okay, I'm going to go. Gotcha. And so he he did drive me gotcha. um that, that time. But I was like, this is what we're going to do every Sunday now. And so so that stressed them out. So they found a local Lutheran church to join because again, my dad was like, I don't think I can handle the hellfire of the Baptist churches. Um, I know the Lutheran church here at the Lutheran church. Let's go check it out. And so they ended up joining and I got baptized, uh, right before my 12th birthday. And immediately, cause, uh, there was some older kids in this church that like my brother knew and hung out with and they had just finished confirmation. So I knew that like, oh, here's this class. Here's this thing for kids, my age. And I'm like meant to be starting it like at this age. Cause it's a two-year program. And these kids that just finished up, they just finished up and they're two years older than me so like i was immediately like hey pastor drew when do i get to start confirmation class and he's like oh i was going to start a class for your brother um and then i'd wait for two years and do like have you because he was a bit afraid of like competition and i was like nope i'm gonna be in that class like no you like everybody else starts it when they're 12 i'm 12 let me take confirmation class. And so I was confirmed and I just loved everything about it. And I wanted to be a professional acolyte, which is a position in the church that like kids can kind of do where they light candles and like hold the offering plate and like do little things in worship. And I didn't really know what a professional acolyte would look like, but I thought, oh, surely surely there's a big church somewhere that would be willing to like hire me to do this or something as a profession like that would be so cool like I want to do it and that's that's not a job like you're never going to find that anywhere in a church to be a professional acolyte but like that's what I would daydream about but I was like but there isn't a spot here for me there isn't a role here for me and I never saw a woman minister. I didn't think that I could do that. Um, and so I was just kind of at a loss as to, I want to do something in the church that I love the church so much, but there isn't, there isn't a spot, there isn't a role. Um, and I didn't realize it at this time, but my Southern grandparents had been kind of grooming me for a while to be a pastor's wife.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so they, they saw a role for you, but not, not quite what you were hoping for.
1: Well, and like, I was like 12, 13, 14. Like I wasn't thinking marriage at all, but they, you know, were constantly providing me with religious books so that I would have a good biblical knowledge uh, and a good relationship with God. They were my godparents. Um they, I think were instrumental in convincing my parents to get me piano lessons. Um, like they were really, really grooming me to be a pastor's wife. And that was their biggest hope for me. And so when I went to college, they were like thrilled that I was taking classes in the religion department. Because what, what, where else would you meet a young, soon to be pastor, but the religion department? Um, but it was also college that made me aware that women could be in ministry. I went to a United Methodist college and though so our chaplain was United Methodist and she was a woman and no one was angry that she was a woman. <laughs> I had been hearing very sneaky things my entire life of just like overhearing conversations with my grandparents and their siblings about oh, we were invited to this church by our friends and we went and a woman stood up to pray or a woman stood up to preach. And I just walked out of there because if they don't even read the Bible enough to know that women are to be silent in churches, like they're not church. And so i had been hearing things like that, like just very subtle things. Like nobody had ever <laughs> looked at me and said, you can't be a pastor, but they, it was very clear that that wasn't, That wasn't for me, but I I saw her be a pastor and that that was okay. And so I started exploring like my denominations track for ministry and was invited to do an internship at an ELCA congregation as their youth director youth minister youth director minister person I don't know I ran their youth group which now also looking back at it with Billy because I was two years older than some of those kids like why were they trusting me with their kids like that that's crazy but um that internship let me try being an assistant minister let me try leading some of the liturgy and I got to preach once it was Horrible. I, it was a terrible sermon. I think I ended mid sentence because I lost my train of thought and I panicked and I said, Amen and sat down. But I tried all these different things and I kept feeling that like internal, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah, that was a terrible sermon, but it felt great. Like that's what I think God wants me to do. And so I started talking to my family about. I think I'm going to go to seminary. I think when I graduate college, I'm going to go to seminary. And my parents were like, "Oh, I feel like this shouldn't surprise me, but it surprises me." And my grandparents were horrified. And my relationship with them never fully recovered cuz like I said, like I looked up to them. I loved them. They were my big role models in life. And so They started writing scripture on note cards and giving it to me on my way out the door. And they were the scriptures that you can imagine that you would give when you were trying to silence a woman who's thinking about being in ministry. And it started to be that I couldn't go and see them unless I had a neutral party with me that they didn't want to Mm -hmm. upset. So I would go over if I knew my cousins were going to be there. I would go over if I knew an aunt and uncle were going to be there, but I couldn't go over there anymore by just myself. And so I went to seminary. And again, I just kind of kept telling God, I'm going to continue on this path until I hear you say no. And that no never came. Uh, My relationship with my grandparents eventually got a little bit better because I met my now spouse who is a man. So I, in fact, did marry him. And they're like, Oh, good. You're a pastor's wife. Ah, oh, you did it. You like fulfilled all of our hopes and dreams. And like, ugh, that was so irritating to me because I didn't want to be a pastor's wife. Um, but I am. Um, they were really perplexed, though when I got ordained, and he didn't for another two years, because he was waiting for a call. Um, so they were very confused as to how that was working, but, um, they eventually came to terms with it, um, because though, I think I married Russ, uh, but it was a very long journey for us to kind of reach that reconciliation, but our relationship never got to the point where it was before I started talking about ministry, but, uh, it at least got better.
0: I'm sorry that you had to go through that.
1: Yeah thanks, but it, it got me to, to where I am today.
0: I I was going to ask, I mean, like, it, it, there there is times, anytime any of us get to talk with people who go through difficult times or suffering, it is always, like, a dangerous thing to say, oh, so it was good after all that you went through all that pain. No, but, like, What are, what are things as you look back? And like you say, you're, you were phrasing it so helpfully. It it brought me to where I am today. Are there things that you appreciate about how your story has gone because you had to wrestle with those issues earlier, especially in the family relationship with grandparents? Are there things that are good that you have either wrestled the blessing out of it, even if it's not, I'm so glad it happened this way, but ways you you would say, here's, here's what I take from that.
1: Uh, it, It very much allowed me to be able to articulate earlier my call and why I feel like I have a spot at the table Mm -hmm. Um, that I, I know being, being in seminary, I saw a couple of classmates who didn't really experience that until they were in ministry and then it surprised them and they didn't have a good answer in the moment of when a parishioner challenge them on their call like they were unprepared for it cuz they hadn't faced it yet which in a lot of ways i think is really good but in other ways they were just they weren't able to articulate that like how do i exist as a woman in ministry when second 2 timothy 2:12 2. exists right? right like so i was able to articulate that fairly early on in my ministry as well as the most hurtful things that people could possibly say to me to try to get me out of ministry was said to me by family members. Yeah. So when a stranger says it to me, it bounces right off. Cause it's like, I've already heard this by somebody who I love. Yeah, I don't know you. So it doesn't like, just because you're mm-hmm. saying it, you're not hurting me.
0: Yeah. 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 I wonder, um, when you think about like what you went through in that experience and how, how hurtful it can be when people in your family aren't willing to affirm your call and the validity of yeah, Yes. God calls and using me. Like how, how does that shape your perspective now as pastor? And to some degree, all pastors kind of get seen as authority figures about what God, like what, what is does that, what does that do when the tables are turned and you're in a position of authority and people like look to you for, their own discernment, like if, if some child or teenager in a congregation you're serving is asking, could I, like, how, how, how does your experience affect those conversations now?
1: Okay, I, I'm going to answer how I think I heard this question.
0: Okay. Uh,
1: but how do I make other people feel like their call is valid even when other folks are telling them that it's not? Is that well, what you're asking? Like,
0: it, I, it, it might it might include that. I guess I'm just asking, like, since you've lived through that experience and you know what it's like to have people deliberately and kind of passive aggressively with scripture verses <laughs> like that 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 that's rough to have gone through that but you know also the power of what it's like when somebody affirms your your call like you experienced uh from the uh other voices along the way but I'm thinking of the the pastor you mentioned at your college uh as an example positive example as well but also you know how painful it can be when somebody in a position of authority uh or mentorship, or whatever that you looked up, who doesn't affirm that? How does how does that shape your sense of ministry now? Even if your job okay. as pastor isn't primarily find new pastors, how do, how does it shape how you do ministry now?
1: So the way I so I went through seminary right after the ELCA passed their 2009 social statement on sexuality, okay with in a lot of ways opened the doors for the lgbtqia community to be ordained okay like previously you could be ordained if you were gay but you couldn't be in a committed relationship you had to be celibate and so for a lot of people that's like well that's not really like if you're not fully accepting me then you're not That like there's really no place for me at the table here Mm -hmm. um And so when 2009 social statement on human sexuality came out, you could now be gay and be in a committed relationship, whatever that looked like legally in your state Mm -hmm. um, and be ordained. And so I was having this internal trying to find what is, how can God call me even though I'm a woman conversation internally, the same time that the church was having this conversation very openly and publicly yeah. about could gay people be ordained mm-hmm. and do they have a place in church leadership
0: mm-hmm. and
1: if they don't have a place in church leadership do they have a place in the church mm-hmm. and so it was kind of that trickle down effect of like if you're if you don't have room for this type of person in leadership then that person really doesn't isn't going to feel welcome in the church at all mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so those two things have always felt very hand in hand to me. Mm -hmm. I don't think I'm necessarily going to feel the same way to somebody who is part of the LGBTQIA community. But to me, it very much felt like those things were happening in parallel. So it made me all the more appreciative in seminary when there I had lots of classmates who um, were gay and married and seeking ordination Um, because to me, it felt like, yeah, even though it's a little bit of a fight, like we're here and because we're here, we're going to be in the church in a couple of years and people are going to be able to see us in these leadership positions. And that is going to make more space, hopefully at the Lord's table that you're going to feel welcome and included because our leadership now reflects Even more of the diversity of God's kingdom. Mm -hmm. And so, as I've been in ministry, I've tried to be very aware that there have been voices in the wider church, not just the Lutheran church, but the Lutheran church and the wider Christian church that have told people you don't belong Mm -hmm. because of your skin color, because of your sexuality, uh, because of your sex people have been told you don't belong. Mm -hmm. And that's been part of my call is to be able to tell people you do belong. God loved you and you are a child of God and God has created you and loves you and forgives you and redeems you. And you have a spot here at the table right next to me.
0: Hearing the way you describe that reminds me of... um, a story I think I had skipped over a lot uh, growing up and certainly in college and in a seminary and only really recently re-appreciated recently. um, I I think it was a point that I saw made by Issa McCulley in his book, Reading While Black, about... insights for reading scripture from an African-American standpoint, but he talks about the story in the book of Acts when the concern is that the Gentile widows aren't being provided for, you know, and so there's a complaint about we need someone who'll take care of the Gentile widows in the community and the church's response, the leaders, you know, the Peter and James and Johns, those kind of folks say, not only we should take care of the Gentile widows, but you know what? We need Gentile Greek speaking leaders who can also oversee that, that like it was the empowerment of them as leaders as well. It wasn't just fine, we'll patronize you and we'll take care, but you can't be raised up to positions of leadership. But like that, the idea that part of the way that early church not only solved the problem of, can we make sure all the widows get food, but also that the church really does include you who regarded as outsiders before, is that leadership had to look like that and match that as well. And that it was by that choice to say not just we're going to also include Gentile widows in our food distribution program, but that the leaders would also be Gentile was a way of saying you really actually belong. Here's how you know it. People who are like you from this group that was seen as an outsider or didn't belong in the last in the, you know, three chapters ago in the book, um, that you do belong and the leadership was a piece of it. And, and the way you tell your story and that experience, it, 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 it illustrates that in a whole new way I, I had not thought of before. I really appreciate your sharing that. Yep. Are there... I want to borrow a question that uh, I I posed to Erica in our last episode, and that's to ask, are there biblical figures or stories about call that have resonated with you in particular, uh, as you look at your own call story? Uh,
1: Was it Samuel, who God had to say, uh, don't say you're just a boy Or like like that wasn't important, like important to God. Was that Samuel?
0: I I know Samuel is a young boy when it happens, but Jeremiah has that particular passage where God calls him the beginning of Jeremiah, and God's answers don't just say, "Just don't say you're just a boy." Blah 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 blah.
1: Yeah, I guess that story. um, Not even though I can't keep straight which prophet it is, but you know, prophet who's a boy who is called into ministry. That God doesn't let that small factor of his identity stop him from doing God's workers doesn't stop God from working through, through him. And so, you know, only one small factor of my life is the fact that I'm biologically a woman and I Mm -hmm. identify as a woman. Um, but that doesn't stop God from working through me.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Can I ask, um, one of the challenges that, uh, I know I experienced when I was going through seminary and I realized it is, it is so much, so much different and less challenging for being young and male compared to the, the hurdles that have been placed for young women in ministry as well. But like, I can remember being in my first teaching parish and getting the side comment from somebody, oh, I didn't know that that 12 year olds be pastors, you know? And so like, yeah, I kind of skew look at little, you know, like, like, uh, and I'm kind of childish, but like, I know sometimes that, that, level like that that whole age thing can be a factor too especially mm-hmm. compounded with gender as well. I would imagine that that Jeremiah sort of being like that double not just on a gender uh, uh, standpoint but also yeah I don't have the years of life experience that others do but look God calls a Jeremiah or a Timothy or a you know whomever um, even when they are young as well. Um, did have you ex- had to wrestle with like that for lack of a better term ageism as well in your discerning of call? Yes Oh, okay. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I have always looked really young for my age. Um, I'm less getting these comments now that I am in my 30s and mother of two kids. Um, But I went on a high school youth trip my first call. Um, So I was in my mid-20s, a little bit past mid-20s maybe. And because it was a mission trip, I was wearing the like t shirt That all the kids were wearing, Mm -hmm. along with the other adults, and I was mistaken for a high school student. Like I, like you know, they didn't believe me that I was the pastor, and I was like, "No, I am." (laughs) Um, And you know, throughout my ministry, it wasn't until I moved here a year ago that I was no longer the youngest pastor in the synod. Mm. Like my first six years in ministry, I was the youngest pastor in the synod, both in my first synod and in the synod that you're still a part of, Steve. Like, uh, granted, there was another pastor. We had a birthday like two weeks apart, um, and so we were kind of the same age. Like, we co-owned this fake title, but um, but yeah, it's it's really hard when all of your colleagues are so much older And like, that's everybody's idea of what a pastor is, is, uh, you know, a, a man in his 50s and it's like. Uh, also, yeah.
0: I'm I'm also here. Right, right, right. And, and I think it's helpful. I'm I'm so glad that over the course of this series, we can hear that as well as to have heard as we we talk about Erica and in your in, maybe in your episode and, and before that, like there's something valuable, obviously, about wisdom and experience. And there's some things you can look at colleagues mm-hmm. who have more years under their belt and say, "Boy, I've learned a lot from you," or "I can, you know, I will grow with experience." So that it's that's that's true. And also being less experienced or having fewer years doesn't mean that you can't do the job and can't do the job well so to, to see both of those intention I, I think is so helpful i i'm i'm really glad i we didn't intend this when we started this series but i'm grateful that as we hear different stories that allows us to see things in tension instead of here's the way it always works and here's it's always better to be older and like no sometimes uh you know that there there are advantages to what you bring when you're the new set of eyes and there's value when you're not ridiculed for being the the youngest person around anymore yeah so i want to thank you then sarah for having shared your story and your reflections on it and of of, of course for you erica last week i'm appreciative two of you let me share my story at the beginning of this series and even though each of us has had the chance to tell a little bit of our story um, we want to do a little bit more of this series and take a look in a second round of conversations at what our calls look like uh, as time has gone on because none of us are just right out of seminary we continue to do ministry and calls change and take different shape as, as ministry goes on so we hope you'll join us for further conversations then here uh, on Crazy Faith Talk
1: Hey all Hi <laughs>